Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson, and I'm with Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Brad Grahowski with AuthorsBookshop.com and IndieBookMan.com in Baltimore, Maryland, filling in this evening for Victor Volkman of Loving Healing Press. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 121 in our series. Tonight's topic will be things you need to know before you hire a graphic artist with our special guest, Julianne Strickland. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We would love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Tonight, we are joined by Julianne Strickland, an independent illustrator, graphic designer, and fine artist, as well as author since 1985. Julie constantly alternates her passion for design work, illustration, and fine art. These passions have created a body of work that includes the illustration of six children's books, each designed with their own individual illustrative style. Julie's graphic pieces have been chosen as well as published in hardcover art books, that showcase American designers' use of new and unique exploration and visual inventiveness. Julie's client list for fine art is as eclectic as her style, ranging from corporate banks, business accounts, publishers, pro athletes, and actors, as well as local and international commissions. Welcome, Julie. Hi. Hi, Julianne. I'm really glad to be talking to you. Let's first of all just get into illustrations. What consists of an illustration? An illustration can be a digital or a hand-sketched rough idea that's later rendered as a tight image to the designer specifications. You can use any kind of media. You can use pencil or ink or any kind of visual depiction of what you're trying to get across. Okay, so what you're saying first, though, you as the designer, the illustrator, does something that's kind of sketchy, just the idea, is that it? Yeah, when you when you go to an illustrator, the first thing you want to do is come with your ideas, if you have any ideas. Sometimes people just come to you with a manuscript and they want to see the, the illustrator's concepts and ideas. And it begins with a thumbnail sketch, which is a really, really rough concept, just to kind of get your point across so the two minds can combine and kind of see where you're going. And that's called a thumbnail sketch. Okay. And then the next process after that is? The way I do it is the first thing that I do, if it's a children's book, let's say, the first thing I want to do is I want to design the characters in the book because the background to me isn't as important as designing the personalities of the characters. And the way I work is I read the manuscript and I find out what the author sees as the character's personality, and I do some very rough sketches. And sometimes it's up to three different personalities of the character. So three totally diverse characters. So that way the author or the publisher could come in and pick traits from each individual one and make a final character, or they can actually go with one. I'll do a profile, a side view, just an all-around look to see what the character would look like. And then if they have any cohorts or sidekicks or anything, then I throw those in. And then we, we have a rough idea of what we're going with. 
and I can do the backgrounds, or any illustrator can do the backgrounds later, but the main focus is your character, if you're using characters. So, Julian, if, can I, if I can back up a little bit. So, I, I'm an author, I've written a children's book, and I've just hired you. How did I find you in, in the first place? I know that's a question that I actually am very familiar with. I have authors ask me that. And so, how did I find you in the first place? What do I look for? There are actual illustration groups online. There's a ton of them. There's things like Guru and um, Illustrative Services. There's a lot of things. You can go on and just actually Google commercial illustrator, cartoonist, fine artist, anything you want. Just Google it, and names will come up. If you go to online groups and, and services such as Guru, you're paying the illustrator as well as a fee to that online service. So people need to know that. And your creative flow goes through the service, not directly to the illustrator. That service actually provides tools that you're going to use with the illustrator to kind of go back and forth. Is that what you're saying? Yes, and they kind of control it a little bit. And there's a fee for them. And they also have a service where people can, it's like an escrow service. So people can deposit their money and they feel like there's a little bit more control you know, over, it's not, the money's not going to just somebody that you don't know. But it's a little bit more complicated. I've worked that way. I prefer to work directly with my clients, and a lot of people find me through other projects that I've done because my name is associated on the project, and they'll actually Google me, Julianne Strickland. I pop up all over the place. And you could Google any illustrator. They'll pop up. If you see an art style you like on a book, you can Google them, and they will pop up. And you can go directly to that artist. Like, how do I know what I'm looking for? I mean, I guess, can you ask for a portfolio right up front, or is that often, I guess that's often going to be on their website, isn't it? Yeah, if you go online and you'll when you Google, um, let's say you Google children's illustrator, children's artist, cartoonist, you can be very specific. It'll take you to just a plethora of, of resources for an illustrator. If you have an idea of what you want, a lot of times people will come to me and they'll have maybe four or five different children's books that they like. They're all varied styles. And they'll tell me why they like each one for different reasons. Sometimes they like the color of one. Sometimes they like the thin lines of another one. You know, and I can actually create a custom image based on, you know, what they've, you know, they've shown me. You don't even have to meet me in person. I do it online. I, I, I can go online and, and, and Google or um, book covers so I can see what they're talking about. And that's how I come up with my concepts, my original concepts. Okay. Yeah. You can go online and see there's so many portfolio sites for artists and illustrators. It's just absolutely endless. So, Julianne, once I've uh, found you, so we're going to actually focus on the type of work that you do, what is that next step? Do most illustrators work by contract, by the hour, or how does this usually work? With me, everything I do is custom, so I take everything on an individual basis. And the first thing you want to know is, and I think a lot of people need to know this, is they need to know the term work for hire. Mm-hmm. And a work for hire is, is a legal term, and that means when you hire an illustrator or an artist, you are letting them know this is a work for hire, and when it's done, you own that artwork. 
you own it. You could do anything you want to with that artwork. You could reproduce it in any way. You own those characters. You own everything. If your project is not a work for hire, the illustrator will own that art. You could use it for the book and the book only. Maybe they'll tell you that you could use it and only print 5,000 copies and that's all. But it, that, and that happens if you don't specify in, up front that this will be a work for hire. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is really, really important because then that gets to be into that copyright issue. And you just said right. that if it's not work for hire, the artist owns that copyright. Right. <laughs> An artist owns everything they create upon conception. Mm-hmm. They own it without even sending off a copyright to the copyright office. They own it. It's theirs. If you come in and you want to buy it from the artist, they can sell it to you. They can sell it to you for a usage fee. Or if you say, I I want to own the rights to it, they will sell you the rights to it. Sometimes the price is more. Sometimes it's not. They just sell it to you. Mm -hmm. But even if you're dealing with an uneducated artist or a young artist that, that doesn't know anything about work for hire, it's the responsibility of the purchaser to know this. They need to have... The words work for hire have to be written down, and the artist's signature has to be there. That's great. So how about negotiating fees? When, when, you know, how do you negotiate? You, you say that you do it individually. So what is it that I'm looking at as far as fees go? When the economy started getting really tough, I found my own way with dealing with people because, you know, I can ask as an illustrator. I can ask whatever I want. But if people don't have the resource to pay for it, it doesn't matter. So I try and design within the budget of my author or the person that's going to purchase the art. So the first thing I like to ask is, do you have a design budget? If you come in and you say, I have $500, I can say, okay, I know how much time I can spend, and it's up to me whether I take it on or not. Now, some artists will say, I won't even begin a job for less than 5000 And that's up to them. But you're going to be able to find illustrators that are willing to do, you know, anything. If, if your budget's $500, they'll say, okay, I can take this on for, five, for $500, but I cannot exceed, you know, so many hours on this project. Okay. Uh, would, you, would you say you generally will get what you pay for, or is that not necessarily the case? So if, if I'm going to hire somebody for $5,000 to cover the, the artwork that I need for my book, am I going to get higher quality? Because I can just imagine that a lot of small publishers or writers who are publishing for themselves are looking for any way they can to cut corners, and so they may think, well, maybe I'll get a student to do the work. Is, it, is there necessarily a correlation between the quality of the work and the experience of the, the illustrator, or is that some place that I, I could kind of consider looking for a student to do it? In my mind, if my name goes on a project, I don't care what the budget is, that artwork is still speaking for me. So the quality is always going to be good. Even if you have a low budget, I know that I can't put in very much detail. I can't spend that much time. I can't do painted renderings or anything like that. But I could do quick pencil sketches or watercolor or something like that. I could find a way to do your artwork at your budget if that's what I take on. I see. So you can, in theory, you can kind of scale to, to right. Me, I can that's, control that's it. That's interesting. Yeah. Can we talk about you know, about? You, I like 
tricks for myself because I I do things traditionally, which means by hand, and I also do it digitally. A lot of times, if you can get an artist like me that works in both media, you can do, let's say you could do your character, spend a lot of time on your character, render your character, and then you the background can be, um, you could spend a little less time, or you can, you know, repeat backgrounds in some cases. You, if you find a creative artist and you've given them a budget, they know what they can spend on it. And they know the amount of time they can spend on it. And, and the quality of work isn't going to go up or down because the, an artist's name is going to go on something and it's still representing them regardless. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, so can we talk about format a little bit? I guess you just kind of got into that a little bit. Like how do I know if the artist is going to work in a traditional medium, pen and ink or paint, or if they're going to be purely digital or, or work sort of between if, the two? Let's say a lot of people will have children's books that they've read as children that they love. Like, let's say the early Winnie the Pooh editions. Those are very quick, very delicate, you know, pencil sketches with maybe a little watercolor wash. And some people really love that style. If you're going to do a project in that style, you need to let the artist know. this. I love this style. This is what I want my book to look like. If you have no idea what you, what you want your book to look like, then you leave it up to your artist to come up with some options for you. And if you don't like any of the options that the artist has chosen, you might have chosen the wrong artist because they're going to work within the styles that you've seen in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. There are some artists that are very, very photo real in their style, and there's other artists that are cartoons. Some run the whole gamut. You don't want to go to one artist because you happen to know them or you happen to have access to them. And if they don't work in a style that you like, you can't make work come out of them. You know what I mean? You need to go, you need to look at their portfolio. You need to see if they've ever done work similar to what you're after. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. And this is kind of a, the technical side of, of this issue. How do I know, you know, if I don't know anything about the printing process, I don't know anything about digital, you know, file or format, how do I know what, I guess, I mean, can I assume that the, that the illustrator is going to know what file format to give me the, the illustrations in, or is that something I need to really be aware of and understand? Well, your artist or your illustrator is going to know. Um, there are some fine artists, some fine illustrators, they're old-school illustrators. They might not know. But you need to, as an author or somebody that's purchasing the artwork, you really need to educate yourself. And you need to know what you're getting. For instance, the one thing that you want to make sure you know, the difference in between vector art and traditional art. Vector art is created on the computer. There's a particular look to vector art. You can Google that term, vector art, V-E-C-T-O-R, and and you can see what that looks like. It reproduces really well. It's very clean. It's done digitally. Traditional art is done by hand, just like you, you always know an illustrator has always drawn. Now, if you're going to take a traditional piece of artwork and you're going to use that, you're going to scan it digitally because that's how you know printing presses get their files these days. When you scan your artwork and your artist scans your artwork, you want to make sure you scan it at a minimum of 300 DPI. And DPI stands for dots per inch because you want it to reproduce crisp. If you don't scan it at 300 DPI, your artwork is going to be pixelated. And when um, the one main thing people need to know is if you see a piece of artwork on the computer 
that is not a high-resolution 300 DPI image. You can't take an image off the computer and like it and try and print it because it's going to be fuzzy. It's a totally different medium. Do you mean off the off the internet? Like if I just find something I like on on the web, sort of thing. Yeah, you you don't want to cut and paste. Some people like to copy things off the internet, and that's not a high quality image. That's not something you can use. And a lot of people don't understand that. And when they try and print something that they've received off the computer, it's not high quality unless you've purchased the the rights to it and you've actually purchased a high resolution file. Like let's say you go to a you know a, a clip art service or something like that or an illustration service. And that's another point too. When you go to a service like that and you buy artwork that's already been produced and you're purchasing it online, you need to make sure that you pay attention to the license that you're buying with that artwork. Because a lot of times it's not limitless. They will they will limit you to maybe five thousand copies or ten thousand copies. You can't you can't always reproduce as much as you like when you get when you buy the rights to an image off online. You know, from like a clip art service. Yeah. Okay. Kind of going back a little bit. So if if you're working in a traditional media, but I own the rights to it, who gets to keep the original artwork when all is said and done? Do I get the painting or the the ink drawing? And if not what you know? What can the artist do with that? Like, what's going to happen to that? You need to specify that up front. Um, I've had people say, "I want the final artwork. I want to own it." And I know when I'm creating it that I'm not going to keep it. But there are many projects where I keep the artwork and I keep it in my portfolio, and I give them the digital artwork, the digital files, because in my mind, you know, the the fine art once they if when, if they haven't purchased it as, you know, work for hire, they don't get that fine art for sure. They don't get the final piece for sure. But if they do it as a work for hire, you know, and that's something you need to negotiate up front if, if they get the final art. It's not a given that you get it. It's not given. You have to, you have, to have all this negotiated up front. Great. The other thing people should know, too, is when an image is created, it's not always on a single piece of paper. A lot of times I'll do a sketch and I'll do the character on a piece of paper and I'll scan it and then I'll do a background on another piece of paper and I'll scan it. And then I actually produce the finished artwork, you know, digitally, even though it's done by hand. So there's a lot of things that people do to keep the time and the cost down and you may not end up with a regular traditional piece of art. It looks like you I have see. a traditional piece of art, but you may that's not may not that may not be how it was created. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. So there, there might be bits and pieces of a composite that mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. So Julianne, you were you talk about fine art, and we started off about talking about illustrations. So just would you mind uh, explaining to our listening audience what you mean by fine art? Um, fine art is. Uh, <laughs> It's really difficult. Fine art is something that I'm creating for my, you know, for myself. Or if I have a client, um, it's 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 not a commercial piece. It's not created for mass reproduction. The the final painting, the final product, that's the piece. That's that's a piece of artwork. It's a one of a kind piece of artwork. And um, it could be in any media. It could be in anything. It could be made with bubble gum. It could be anything. And, you know, but fine art isn't normally created for mass production. 
And in a commercial art, when you're making it, you're making it for mass production. So then would fine art be something, let's say, for a book cover? Yes. Yes, you, okay. yes but that's, you're going to take a piece of fine art and turn it into commercial art. Because just a painting alone isn't going to do it. Normally you have a title in front of it. You have the author's name. You know, you've turned it in. You've used it as, a, as an element in a book cover. You know, you know what I mean? Right. There was a time, like if you watch Antiques Roadshow or something, you're going to see that there were books where within the books they actually had fine art, like lithographs and things like that. And it was it was fine art. They were fine, fine reproductions and um, fine reproductions. And there are books created like that that encompass, you know, fine art. But it's still it's still in a in a way commercial art because it's not one of a kind. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's still mass produced, but it looks like fine art. But it's still mass produced. You also do gicle, right? That's yeah. a form of reproduction. And so what do you do with that? Do you take a piece of fine art and then embellish it or enhance it? What what is a jaclay uh, is a form of reproduction. It's called a piazza spray method. Like when you scan an image and you reproduce it, there's a lot of different ways that you could produce the art and it's very very expensive. This is a really cost-effective way for artists to reproduce their art on canvas, on paper, on watercolor paper and control the image themselves in a cost-effective way. And um a lot of times when artists do jaclays, they also embellish on top of them, but that still doesn't make it original art. It's still called an embellishment. It's an embellished print. And this would like be a, a, this would be appropriate for covers more so than illustrations. No, Jaclay isn't wouldn't be for a book cover. That's a piece that that's something that you to reproduce fine art, you would do a Jaclay. It's uh-huh. a form of printing. Okay. Okay. So I just wondered if the end result but I understand now what you're saying. So it it's a form of printing. Right. Rather than, so you would actually, going back to book covers, it would be more appropriate to use the fine art for a book cover and, of course, put the title and everything else on it that needs to be. Right. If you're going to use a piece of existing fine art, you want to have it scanned professionally at a minimum of 300 DPI. It's really difficult, unless you use a professional photographer, to take a really good picture of artwork. It needs to be done professionally because you're going to have glare, you're going to have, you know, color problems. You know, you need to have that done professionally, and you need to own the rights to do that. You just can't find a painting that you like and take a picture of it and use that as the art right. of your book cover. Right. <laughs> so I want to talk, you had just briefly mentioned about uh, images, finding images on the Internet, and I'd like to just briefly talk about what royalty-free images really means. And basically what it does mean is it's not free, but there are just a lot of conditions that come with it. And I'd like you to address those. There's there's royalty-free sites online where you could go on and um, you can download images. There are some sites that allow you to use them at any limit that you want. And there are some that have specifications placed on, you know, specifications on what you can do with the artwork. Like you definitely cannot compile royalty-free images and um, make something that you're selling to make money. You, you can't do that. That's you, you have to read the fine print. 
they won't let you do that. And it's really confusing for people. I don't think they understand um, when it when people put photos or they put artwork online. They're allowing you to use it, but they're not allowing you to create your own personal industry with it and resell. Is that what you're saying? And resell it, right? But you can or you can purchase a royalty free image and let's say put it on a book cover then. Yes, and then you need to go down. They're going to ask you, what are you using this art for? Mm-hmm. And if you go down, they're, they're going to say, if you're using it for reproduction, it's going to be you know this amount. If you're using it for educational purposes, it's going to be this amount. They have different prices, and then you get a licensing agreement with that art. So if anybody says anything to you, you have the agreement. Mm-hmm. So you have the rights to use it any way you want. For instance, it's really under, it's easy to understand this way. If I start scanning the... Um, internet and I start pulling up all these royalty free images that they're saying I can use I can use for free I can't compile those images and start my own website and sell them mm-hmm. so those then usually royalty free images you do have to pay for them and from what right. I understand the different sizes have different prices now there's also clip art which is free but do they also have that same con- uh, contract where you can't just compile, or are there restrictions for clip art? Right. Everybody has their own specifications. One thing you need to know when you go on these sites, they're watermarks. And watermark means it's a very, very, very subtle copyright in the symbol or a logo in the symbol of the art. And, like, it's right in the center of the artwork or it's on the bottom. That's your notice that you can download this and you can look at it and you can print it. But that copyright is letting you know that if they see this and the copyright has not been removed, you could be sued for punitive damages for using that art. When you when you go online and you order that artwork, they give it to you with the copyright removed. Do you know what I mean? That copyright has been removed from the artwork when you purchase it. But when you don't purchase it, the copyright is in the center of the artwork. It's very subtle, but it's there. Okay. So, now, we've been talking quite a bit about the legal protection of the artwork, but I'm kind of wondering from the other side of it, if if I'm, you know, working with an illustrator to, you know, create the illustrations for my book, obviously I'm giving them access to my creative work. How do I make sure I'm protecting myself? Uh, well, you would have the work? artist sign a non-disclosure agreement. I see. It's called and, an and NDA. That's, and that's pretty standard? The, art, right. the artist's not going to be offended or upset with me for asking them to do that? No, I sign them all the time because people come to me. I don't just do books. I do all kinds of things. People who invent Products. They want me to sketch the products or lay out the products or, to, you know, for proposals or whatever. They don't want me to tell other people, oh, I just saw this great invention and this is what it does. An NDA um, says I can't do that. I can't discuss what somebody shared with me. Kind of like a, an attorney or a doctor mm-hmm. or something. You can't just, I can't see someone's idea or concept and share it or take it or use it or, you know, that belongs to the person who's come come to me. Some people are very, very particular, and they have you sign a piece of paper. And, and that's not a problem, and I respect them for that. It's their ideas, their concept. Yeah. So would you, encur- would you encourage an author or a publisher to do that then? I mean, that, to me, that sounds like a good idea, you know, yeah. whether you really think the illustrator's going to run off with your work or not. Right. Yeah. You just brought up a really good point, too. It, 
First of all, it is a good idea to have somebody sign an NDA. That's just letting them know. That's your form of a copyright of your concept, basically. You're letting them know, you know, that this is my concept. Let it be known this is my concept. You knew it was my concept when I came to you. I'm telling you what to do. You sign a piece of paper, and, you know, this all belongs to me once I leave your, your studio. You know, so, and, and, that's, and that's fair. I think that's, I, I think somebody with a good idea should protect it. Yeah, yeah, I would. Certainly agree with that for sure. Yeah, but can I can I can I bring something else up too? Is um, a lot of times people will go to an artist because they they haven't walked through the process before, and they want the artist to sketch something out for free before they want to see what they'll get for their money, and that's called working on spec, and that's a real no no in the art field. Uh, spec stands for uh, speculation. It's in the speculation of a job. A lot of times students will do it. They don't have a problem doing it because they want to prove what they can do. They may not have a huge portfolio. But the problem with that for both parties is that if I illustrate something on spec, there hasn't been a work for hire discussed or anything, and you came to me and you said, I have this character and this is, you know, this is a description of the character and I want to see a sketch of it. I draw a, a, a picture, and I'm dead on, and that's exactly what you want. I own it. I drew it. I own it. And the person that just gave me the character description does not own it. And there's a problem. That's why you, that's why you, want, to, you, want, you want to have an agreement. You don't want to ask somebody to work for free. You want to be really respectful to both parties because once you see, and then on the other hand, for the illustrator, once that author or, or buyer has seen that sketch, they may say, you know what, I don't want to use your services, but thank you, and then go to a student and say, I know exactly what I want. This is what it looks like. Now, you've just stolen the artist's rendition, and it wasn't, it wasn't, and a lot of people don't understand. Once something's been seen, it's gone. It's just like if you told me the premise of your book, it's now gone. You know, somebody else knows what it is before it's been printed. You know, so you want to be really respectful of people's creative concepts and protect them. And that's why it's a good idea to have an agreement when you deal with people. And a lot of times NDAs are signed before anything is even discussed. You know, it's like you, 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 a lot of times people who've never even met me, they'll send an NDA, and then that's when they'll start discussing their project with me. Mm-hmm. And and what happens if a if a you know if the deal goes bad? I mean, I guess if you have all of the the paperwork, the non disclosure agreement, and you've got you know, you've, you've signed some sort of contract that you know indicates that it's work for hire, um, I guess you, you, you're in a pretty good place. You're in pretty good shape if things do go bad. But is that something that you hear of happening frequently, or you know? Yeah, things I guess, go again, bad in very strange ways, That things that you cannot predict. I just had a project that was a really unique situation, and um, a, a printer actually came to me to illustrate a, a corporate manual, and I had the um, illustrations. It was a work for hire. They were going to own the illustrations, and everything was done within two weeks. It was done. Well... The people that the printer was produ- who the, the printer was producing this book for a third party, they decided that they wanted to revise the book over and over again. And I was designing the book and illustrating it. Well, I was keeping track of my time with all the revisions, 
And I was letting them know this is getting expensive. You know, you need to keep your revisions down. And they just kept on revising and revising. And finally it was over. They were happy. And the bill came. And it was not what they anticipated, even though they looked at it and they could see all those revisions did occur. It was, it didn't have anything to do with me. It had everything to do with them. And they just didn't, it was, they, it was too expensive. It wasn't what they had anticipated. So we worked out a deal where I own the artwork and I gave them the rights to reproduce so many copies. And they were happy with that because they decided the amount of copies that I allowed them to produce would get them through and then um, everybody was happy, but that was a really, really unique situation. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that can be pretty. Uh... Neither one of us anticipated it in any way, and and we all did exactly what we said we were going to do. Everything was done very respectfully and in a pace. But the third party just decided they wanted to, you know, revise and revise and revise, and I was just letting them. You know, I wanted the book to be everything they wanted it to be, and it just it gets expensive when people just do that. You know, you can't just take all the time in the world, and there was actually a whole office full of people continuously revising it, and you know how that could be with a book. You can't let that many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm getting – I think we have time for one, one more question. And I, this is just something that – so are there – is there an option for sort of finding an alternative relationship of working with an illustrator? If I can't, I've got this great idea for a book and I know it's going to do well and that's the one piece that I need as an illustrator, but I don't have $5,000 and um, I'm afraid I'm not going to get a good quality work for less than that. Can I, is it unprofessional to try and find some other, like offering to share ownership of the final product? With the uh, with the illustrator, or you know, finding some other way of working with them that can get the job sure. done, or or is that just kind of unprofessional and, and and you'd kind of be offending the illustrator by doing that? No, um, I I've worked royalty deals with with publishers before, where you know I get royalty checks. I wouldn't do that unless you were a professional publisher, because you know I that's that's kind of sophisticated. You know, but a lot of you know, you can you could work any kind of deal you want with an illustrator. You know, it's I don't think people I think people should take each artist individually because I can't you don't have to some artists will do a book for five hundred dollars, some people won't take less than five thousand. Everybody's an individual. So I don't think you should be afraid. I think a lot of people are afraid of artists, and they're afraid of how much it will cost. I think they're afraid of it, and you shouldn't. You should go in and say, I have this much money. This is my design budget. Can you work with me on this? And if you can't, how much more will it take? And you should know the art that your artist produces. If you go online and you see an illustrator, and they have a whole bunch of artwork on there, and you need to make sure they actually did that artwork. Because these days, a lot of students will, you know, bulk up their portfolio with work that they didn't even produce professionally. It might be, you know, comp work that they did in school and it wasn't done professionally. So you want to look at the ISBN numbers of the books that the illustrators have created so you know that they actually did those projects. I see. Okay. Well, that's a great a great answer, actually, and I think that's a pretty important. Just that the sense of not being afraid of an illustrator and being willing to go in and say, yeah, this is my budget. This is what I got. How how can we work around that? That's great. Especially now in this economy, because everybody needs to work and everybody needs to continue their projects. 
and everything is negotiable. Okay. I really like the fact that you just said everything is negotiable, and I think that that's a good place to leave it for the authors to just really, if they're contemplating getting a graphic artist to get an illustrator, to really think about what their budget is, because that's basically the bottom line is what they're going to get as an end result. Yeah, I think the most important thing is I think you need to discuss that it's a work-for-hire up front. Yes. I think you need to get high-resolution images if you're getting digital files. Mm -hmm. You need to also request the vector files if it's been created digitally. You need to request the vector files. Make sure you get those. Even if your computer can't read them, you need to have them because if your illustrator's computer crashes or they lose them, you will always have them. A printer can read them. Anybody can read them. Just because, you know, the author doesn't have the programs to read them, still request them. And make sure you say, I want the vector art files. That's good. I'm glad you mentioned that. Julianne, your website address. It's it's my name. It's www.julie. A-N-N-S-T-R-I-C-K-L-I-N dot com. And you can just Google my name, Julianne Strickland, and I pop up in all different areas. Great. Thank you so much. This has been great. I know it's been very informative for many of our listeners, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and especially giving us so many great pointers. Thanks a lot, Julianne. Oh, you're welcome. Thank Thank you you so much for calling me. You bet. You've been listening to another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Stay tuned for the next episode, Think Like a Black Belt, promoting your book by being a media personality with special guest Jim Bouchard. We would love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views, Inc. and Loving Healing Press. And this is Irene Watson for Reader Views in Austin, Texas, saying good night. And I'm Brad Grahowski from authorsbookshop.com and indiebookman.com in Baltimore, Maryland, sitting in for Victor Volkman of Loving Healing Press, also wishing you a very good evening. Thank you and have a good night.